Hello, and welcome to the sneak preview of Publishers Weekly Insider. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox, Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly, and we are thrilled to introduce PW Insider, Publishers Weekly's new weekly podcast that takes you deep inside the latest news and biggest stories in publishing. We'll be joined on every episode by editors and writers from Publishers Weekly, as well as authors, publishing professionals, booksellers and librarians, and other experts. PW Insider officially debuts on September 14th, but as a preview of the types of conversations you can expect, we're going inside one of the titles on PW's list of the most anticipated books of fall. Today's guest is DeRay McKesson, an educator, activist, host of the podcast Pod Save the People, and author of the forthcoming book On the Other Side of Freedom. Hello, DeRay, and thanks so much for talking with us. Hey, no, it's good to be here. So this is a collection of essays in which you reflect on what you've learned from protests, family upheaval, racial inequality, homophobia, community organizing, abuse, and love. Um, I'm quoting our review of your book right now. There's a lot of stuff in here. What made you decide to write this book? I think to a sermon uh, not too long ago, and the sermon was entitled, Don't Tell Your Story Too Soon. And I remember being like, what does that mean, right? That's that is an interesting idea. And what he says in the end is sometimes if you tell your story too soon, all you can see is the pain, not the purpose. And I think if I had written a book about what I've experienced and seen two years ago, it would have been all about the protest. It would have been a play-by-play about being in the street. And I'm at a point now where I can look back and, and sort of see the, the lessons that I've learned from the protest from before when I was a teacher and think about like how we can talk about those and reflect on them in a way that sets us up uh, for a better future. So that's why I wrote the book as a way to reflect and offer some thoughts about where we go. So before we get into the protest, because I do want to talk about that, this is a significant part of the book and, of course, your life experience, but how do you think your experience working in education has taught you about society and, and activism? Yeah, you know, I, I often say that I think the classroom is the last radical space in America that it's sort of the last place where people still fight about ideas and still sort of understand the importance of ideas and the, and the best ideas. So that, I think, gave me a sense of urgency around uh, being in the street in the first place. You know, I worked for a school system when Mike Brown got killed, and I remember being on my couch uh, on that Saturday morning and being like, I'm going to go down. And one of the reasons that I went down was because a kid got killed. It was a, a kid going to college, and I spent my whole career in education. And it was like, if I sort of say that I'll stand with kids wherever, then the least I could do was go down to Ferguson. Like that was what I, that was what was going through my head that day. And then I got tear gas on the second night I was there and I was like, I'll do whatever I can to make sure this doesn't happen to any kid or anybody ever again. But it was my career in education that like made me go in the first place. So now we're on that a little bit about Mike Brown's killing in Ferguson in 2014. You know, you're watching the goings on and then became a participant. But what made you return and ultimately stay in Ferguson? We know what, you know, you were just explaining what drew you there. What made you stay there? Yeah, so we were in the street for 400 days. So I went down the very first night and then took off work for like the next week, uh, unexpectedly stayed for a very long time and then would go back and forth from Minneapolis to St. Louis. So I was uh, I was there for for the vast majority of the protests, except for the first sort of seven days. Mike got killed on the ninth. I didn't get there until the 16th. So, so it was back and forth. You know, it was only a 50-minute flight. So I could literally leave work and still, in, in St. Louis, we didn't really hit the streets until 
the nighttime, Baltimore was the first city that people really protested during the day in a really heavy way. So I was there for the majority of, uh, of what you understand to be like the first wave of the protest. And it was such an incredible sense of community. And I wanted to, you know, I've not written a uh, long form about any of this stuff really besides Twitter. Twitter has been like the longest form. And I wanted to, to finally sort of say how it happened, what happened, what we learned from those moments. I write this essay about God and what does it mean to do this work in the absence of God being a formal part of resistance right now. You know, God was such a big part of the civil rights movement and less so now. And like, what does that mean and how do we process that? So all those things that I've been thinking about, but I had never written about. And the book was my, uh, was the place that I thought I could do that best. What was the process of writing like for you? Writing a book is hard. You probably know this better than I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I took a lot of time to just think about what are the stories that I wanted to write about. So there's so many things that have happened over the past four years, five years, uh, definitely my test decade. I taught in the classroom a decade ago. So I started with thinking about like, what are the stories that I think actually matter the most, both to me and then both to like a larger message. And then I wanted to make sure that every essay wasn't just a retelling of, of something that happened, but also had a bigger message. So uh, there's an essay about my mother. The first time I've ever written about my mother, she left uh, when I was a little kid and came back recently. And like her leaving was a big, big part of my life. Um, and her coming back was too, in a way that made me think about the power of memory and what it means to the way we think about the world. So there are essays like that. There's an essay on the police. We've done a lot of research on policing in the past four years and have never really written about it any place. We put out sort of reports that people who study this deeply have engaged, but there's so much stuff that people should know, and there's a chapter on that. So there's a chapter on uh, the protests in, in Ferguson and, and so many things, Like, but it started with the stories were the things that led the book. You write about bullying of an uh, experience early on in your life after, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, the house that you lived in burnt down. And then uh, I guess it was a, a fire to your babysitter was trying to put it out. It spread. And then you moved to another part of town with relatives. And it was there where during the 10, 15 minute walk to school and, or back that you, you experience anxiety and terror and bully. Tell us about that and what that bullying means in society in the bigger picture. Yeah, that essay actually was a speech that I, it started off as a talk that I gave somewhere and the origins were, I was at dinner and somebody was like, DeRay, would you meet with Trump? And I was like, and I was trying to explain to him why not. And he was just like, but you've always told me that like you should take the truth everywhere and da da da. And I said to him, like, it's not my job to tell the bully, to convince the bully to stop bullying me. Like, that's just not my job. Somebody should tell the bully to stop bullying people. But it's not the person being bullied. It's not your responsibility to convince the bully that you're like a whole person and a human and like should be bullied. And that's where that essay came from. And it made me think of, and it started as a talk, a speech that I gave, is that that walk home, it's like I knew what it was like to be around bullies and how bullies change not only sort of the way you think about your personal safety, but they also change like the landscape around you. And that became for me a metaphor for what's happening in this time. And like, what does it mean to resist? Whose responsibility is it to sort of push back and whose responsibility isn't? And then how bullies do way more than actually just impact like your momentary sense of safety, but actually change entire landscapes. And that's where that essay came from. And so I'm going to ask whose responsibility is it to push back? 
Ah, good. You know, read the essay. You've already read it. But so I think that uh, we have a response. People being bullied have a responsibility to resist, whether we call the resistance sort of self-defense or something else. People who enable the bully, though, have a responsibility to stop the bully. So you think about all the people right now in this political moment who benefit from Trump's antics, who who lean on him, who are employed by him, and they actually are a big part of the problem. I think about in the essay, it's like all the people that knew bullying was happening on our walk home uh, and just did nothing because they were like, oh, this doesn't really affect me. This doesn't matter until their car got broken into, until something impacted their kids. And like, you should actually care about these things, whether they impact you directly or not, because the thing about bullies is that they really only care about themselves and everything can become a target in the end. And you, you write about the quiet, uh, the habit of downplaying elements of one's identity in order to remain safe or, or how it can teach joy and freedom or leech joy and freedom out of life. Do you think there's a role for literature in bringing people out of the quiet? I mean, as one who's just written a book. Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the powerful things, and this is certainly true of Twitter, I think it's true of books as well, is that so many of us didn't know that we weren't alone until we had seen other people processing the same things in the same way. So I remember being in the street and like we knew we were right. We knew that we were righteous and we knew that Mike Brown should be alive today. We didn't know that people from all over the region and all over the world would be watching us and would join in. But we, the way that we found out was through words. Like we found out on Twitter, we found out in essays, we found out when people eventually wrote books. And like, that was really powerful. In the book, I talk about this idea that, that language is always the first act, that language is the way that power is distributed and redistributed. Uh, And I think that literature has an incredibly important role in shaping the way that we think about the world around us and our own power. What books did you read while forming these essays here? Or what books have, have you read that, that have really moved you? So during this process, it was a lot of uh, Rustin. You know, Rustin's writings don't get as much sort of attention as they should, but he was such a clear writer. So it wasn't very flowery. It wasn't very poetic. That just wasn't his um, endeavor. But the ideas are so crisp. Uh, so I spent a lot of time with Rustin. Obviously, I revisited the work of Baldwin. You know, I feel like everybody's reading Baldwin. Um, Audre Lorde, Bell Hooks. You know, I read some Eldridge Cleaver. I read a lot. I was trying to read a lot of uh, sort of activists who had written about their time in their time and not necessarily people who had reflected on it 20, 30 years later. This is like a different type of book to read. Um, and even as a writer who's like very much still in, uh, you know, we're still in, in movement space, uh, is the tension between writing for, uh, writing for history and writing for the future. And I wanted to read people like Rustin who had engaged in that work and Baldwin who had engaged in the tension between writing uh, for history and writing for the future. You're a supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement. And in your book, you explain the origins of the phrase and what it means to you. Can you talk about that? You know, I think one of the hardest things to watch happen is that people remember the protests in Ferguson as like a long weekend. And the reality is that we were in the street for 400 days, that if not for those protests, there would be no movement that we now have have called uh, Black Lives Matter, or uh, there wouldn't be young people all across the country in the streets in this way. Like it started as a result of uh, those incredible people uh, who went out on August 9th and all of us who stayed in the street thereafter. And I wanted to talk about that in the book. So I talk about 
uh, all the people who have been, or I talk about many of the people who have been sort of erased in the larger narrative around this work. And, you know, we remember in those early days, it was hashtag Ferguson was like the big hashtag. I remember when we started saying uh, Black Lives Matter as a, as a rallying cry and as a phrase. And I write about how that has taken sort of a different turn than what we originally had thought in those early days. Um, and I think about all of us as supporters, is what you said. I think about uh, so many people led in that space. I think about uh, what it means to be a leader in a movement um, and how what we saw in the street in St. Louis was so many people leading in really specific ways. It was the difference between organization and infrastructure. And what we learned then was never to confuse collective action with the work of organizations. And sometimes organizations actually provide space for collective action. But Ferguson was a case study and a model for for collective action to rise up and not need an organization to make it work. Well, when you ran for office uh, for mayor of Baltimore, you faced some backlash from members of the activist community who believe that you can't make meaningful change from within the system. How do you see those who believe in engaging outside the system versus those who engage from within, you know, reconciling for meaningful progress? One of the challenges that remains in the activist community is this, the performative sense of purity. So when I ran, I think that that was at, a, at its height, um, this idea that the only way to be truthful and the only way to really care about uh, people is to be outside the system. I think that you see that completely different today. So uh, in the sector of Trump, it's like every if you don't run for office, you don't care, right? If you don't sort of vote, if you don't participate in politics, you don't care, which is markedly different than what it was in 2016 or like before the election in 2016. So I think that that, I think it's just different now. It's changed completely. Some of the people that have criticized me are now the people running for city council and running for mayor, right? Like it's just like a different time. How do you see things going forward from here? One of the reasons that I wrote the book is that I thought that we needed clear language about what has happened and where we go. And what I think happens from here is that there's been so much going on in the world that people need to still understand how to process so they can turn it into into action so that people aren't just informed but are transformed. And that's what I think comes next. I think it begins with a sense of education, and then we translate that into a set of skills. It's why the book isn't just sort of a memoir in its, its sense of just telling stories that I've gone through, but it it is my... Uh, offering of these stories that help us lead to and think about bigger ideas in the world that help us transform the way we think about the world that will then shape the way that we act in the world. Well, Dre, thank you so much for talking with us. We wish you all the best with this book and a wide readership. Thank you. I'm Mark Rotella. And I'm Rose Fox. And this has been a special preview of Publishers Weekly Insider. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to subscribe to PW Insider on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back in your ears on September 14th.